Hi, I'm Isla Ruby from thecosmiccircus.com, and welcome to our special feature on the Essex Serpent. I've got two interviews for you today with some of the amazing creative people behind the hit Apple TV program. First, we're talking to Anna Simon. She's the screenwriter and executive producer behind the show. Next, we're going to go in-depth and chat with Jane Petrie, the Essex Serpent's costume designer. I'm going to hop right into it because I know we only have so much time and I want to be respectful of that. So I'm, you know, I'm so excited to talk to you. Um, You know, I love the show. I love how character driven it is and you know how it showcases very complicated people. Um, I have a lot of questions for you about that. Okay. All right. So I want to talk a little bit about how you first came onto the project. You know, had you read the book before coming in? Um, What was that process like and what kind of drew you to this project and Cora's story? I had read the book. The book was really a big hit when it came out in the UK. I think it was 2016. Um, And I'd already read it regardless of work or anything. And I absolutely loved it. I mean, like it was my favorite book that I read that year. Um, I just felt like the characters in it were fantastic. Cora was so strong, but so fallible. Um, There's this incredible relationship between her and Will, who is you know, a man of God, and they have this incredible sort of hot, hot relationship, <laughs> transgressive. Um, so yeah, and also it's a novel of so many ideas about what was going on in the world in the 1890s, this kind of battle between new ideas about medicine and science and um, established religion. And yeah, it was just a novel fizzing with ideas and sensations and yeah, I was desperate to uh, be a part of it. <laughs> now, did you did you kind of reach out, or how did? Um... No, I didn't actually. I, um, I, Clio Bernard, the director, was already attached on the project, and there'd been an existing script, um, and so I was developing something else with the production company, and I saw the manuscript on their desk. This was a couple of years later after I'd read the book. And I was asking about it. I was like, oh, I love that book. I love that book. And they were like, oh, well, um, you know, what what do you think kind of thing? Um, because, you know, they were looking for a writer. So, yeah, it all worked, like, amazingly well. And I jumped on board. Um, and, like, we got going. Oh, that's awesome. Um, so, so I kind of posed this question to Twitter saying that I'd be talking to you and I wanted to know if anybody you know, had any questions. And I also had this question, so it worked out. But can you, can you talk about, you know, how you approached adapting the book? Because, you know, adapting IP is not, it's not easy. You know, you have to, there's dealing with the source material and keeping that essence and also, you know, dealing with the, um, like the limitations of, of television, or in this case, six episodes. Do you want to, can you talk about that a little bit and, you know, what that looked like? Yeah, I mean, actually, It was a difficult book to adapt because there's so much in it um, and about in lots of different uh, worlds. So there's like the world of Essex, which is like the main world, obviously, which is incredibly atmospheric. And you've got this kind of mystery story going on that's quite supernatural. Um, But there's also large sections of the book in London um, with a different set of characters. So we had a writer's room and we had some brilliant writers come join me and we basically 
broke the book down across the six episodes. I mean, Apple wanted it to be six. So that was never like a question of, is it this many episodes or that many episodes? It was like, right, we're doing six episodes. So we looked at where the book naturally fell um, and the story naturally fell. And then obviously when you're in that process, you then look at, um, you know, moving stuff around, which episodes feel like they've got, uh, need a bit more development, making sure that the characters don't just kind of disappear for ages and come back again, which you can do in a book. Um, spent a lot of time thinking about how to visualize or not visualize the serpent because it's both a real threat to the village of old winter but it's also kind of something that's much more mysterious particularly for Cora who's on this kind of journey of discovery and a sort of psychological psychologically traumatized woman um so there are lots of different things to balance um we we literally just sat down and talked and it was so fascinating and mapped it out uh, and then went away and did some writing and then came back and read stuff and did more writing and did research. And, you know, it took about a year probably to write the episodes during which we were in COVID. So all the kind of script meetings after we'd done the writer's room were on Zoom. So that was another challenge. Yeah, it sounds very challenging. Um, and I'm, I'm glad you brought up the, like the writer's room. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Um, you know, how you, like how you staffed it, how you, how you figured out who was going to be a part of it, like what you were looking for, because I think, and, and, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, it's all women, right? And I think yeah. that's really unique and awesome. Yeah, thank you. Um, I mean, it was a mini room in the UK. We don't tend to have very long writers rooms like you do um, in the US. Uh, so we only had three weeks. Um, and really, I looked for writers along with the production company who were obviously a part of that uh, staffing process. Uh, we decided we wanted it to be all female. Um, we had a female director and a female producer as well. So it just felt like a really, a really kind of important part of it. Uh, it was such a female-led story. Um, so yeah, the, I guess as in staffing any room, you read the work of writers that maybe writers you've already met that you've worked with before, although in this case, I hadn't worked with any of the writers before, but they're existing specs you know their sample scripts felt to be in the right tone and then we had interviews and asked them about the book and about the pilot scripts and what their thoughts were on it and um you know just were looking really for people that were you know really vibed with the material and we felt like could add something um to the room um, as far as, as research, obviously, this is a very, you know, th this is, it takes place 1893. This is, you know, a very historic time. Um, you know, what kind of, in, in approaching the writing and in approaching, you know, the show in general, like, can you talk about the research process um, and how that informed your writing? Were there, you know, particular resources, books, shows, consultants, like what, what yeah. helped you? <laughs> I assume yeah. there's a lot. <laughs> Yeah, we had, uh, we read a lot of books. I'm just looking along my bookshelf right now and seeing Blood and Guts, The History of <laughs> <laughs> Equal or Different, Women in Victorian England, Inventing the Victorians. Uh, yeah, we read a lot of books about um, sort of thought that, you know, the 
the ideas that were swirling around at the time that are really crucial to the show. I mean, the book is such a book of ideas. So, um, you know, it wasn't just, I think it involved more research than your typical period drama because it's not just bonnets and, you know, who's marrying who. Our main character is a naturalist who's, you know, studying fossils and it's absolutely fascinated by science and there's a surgeon and there's a vicar and there's, um, you know, this local myth about the Essex serpent that, you know, that was real. So we had to really do our homework to get all of that right. Um, and we had, you know, as we went along, a surgical consultant and so on. So there was a lot of um, research into the political world and so on. But at the same time, I think it's important to say it is a fictional story. So at the end of the day, the biggest resource was Sarah Perry's novel, because that is where the characters live. And it was bringing the characters to life that was the most important thing to do. Now, did you uh, did you work with her? Did you get, um, like, did you kind of get her input? How did that all work? Um, we didn't get her input as we went along because I think that, you know, in a way you need to be, um, you need to kind of distance yourself to start with to kind of form your own ideas so that mm -hmm. you're not, you know, you're not constantly kind of checking in because I think that would that would be difficult all around. Um, but, you know, we knew, obviously I had contact with Sarah and she read all the scripts and was very happy with them. Um, and, you know, she, she gave some notes which were very useful. Um, and, you know, she, as the process went on, she was very sort of integral to it. She came on set. Um, she, you know, we showed her the films, the, all, the, all the episodes in a kind of private screening when they were done so that she could, you know, see them all in advance of them going to Apple and so on. So, um, yeah, she was, she was, you know, very intrinsically important to the whole process. Now, did the, did the scripts, um, like, did they evolve when you guys were on set and with the, with the actors input, you know, Claire Danes and Tom Hiddleston are both phenomenal did they have um did they have insight kind of into the development of their characters and and how that all worked yeah I mean we Claire and Tom rehearsed together and I went along to those rehearsals and they definitely had questions about the characters I think they both emailed Sarah Perry separately um and there were a few you know bits and pieces where they sort of find something in the book that they found really helpful that wasn't in the script. So I put it in or, you know, a couple of moments where they just wanted to know more about something or wanted a little bit, you know, more or less of something, but they weren't, you know, they were incredibly collaborative. They weren't sort of asking me to change loads of stuff or anything like that. It was more just a discussion about the ideas that, are in the book and are in the scripts. Um, and, you know, wanting to really understand they're both such, such great actors and so intelligent that they really wanted to do justice to, to the ideas that Sarah had put in the book originally, that I hope I brought into the scripts. So yeah, there was a lot of discussion. Um, and it, yeah, it was a very um, creatively, rich experience I think. 
Um, can you talk about Cora's journey a little bit in her arc? Because this very much, you know, feels like her story and, you know, like she's a central character and I'd love to hear, you know, kind of how you, you know, how you developed that, what, what things you wanted to make sure that you, you covered and how that process was. Yeah, I mean, Cora is a fascinating character. When you first meet her, her husband is dying. And within the first few minutes of the show, you understand that he's a violent man mm -hmm. and that she's been very repressed in her marriage. And so really the story of the whole series, I guess, starting in those first few minutes of the show is seeing a woman develop from being restricted and repressed and unable to express herself um, or even really to go out of the house very much. And we see through the, through the events of the story that she develops a sense of identity. She does this by, you know, she's been very interested in fossils and paleontology, but she's really just been able to do that via collecting fossils and having them sent to her in the post. But when she hears about this mystery of this serpent that's been spotted down on the coast, she decides this is what she needs to really sort of start her life again. Um, so, she, so she heads down to Essex to investigate. And that journey that she goes on meeting Will played by Tom Hiddleston um, and meeting a lot of suspicious villagers that start to suspect that she might have something to do with the serpent and the way that she um, overcomes those obstacles and learns about herself, learns about how to, how to be with other people, learns about the serpent, um, develops a better relationship with her young son. All these things happen through the series and through the events in Essex. So that by the end of the series, without giving any spoilers, I think you find her in a much better place than you do at the beginning. <laughs> It is tricky without spoilers, and I see that this is my last question, but um, can you talk a little bit about Will's journey? You know, he's the vicar, he's being struck with this fear over the serpent. Can you talk about, you know, how he is when he's, the show starts versus where he is at the end? Yeah, Will Ransom, played by Tom Hiddleston, is, uh, he's a very unusual vicar, I think, because um, he's very forward-thinking, he's very intellectual, he's read a lot of books that maybe some men of the cloth would find heretical. Um, he's very interested in science and Darwin's ideas. He's not just um, sort of held back by um, sort of very old fashioned ideas about the world as a lot of his parishioners are. So at the beginning we see him sort of trying to strike a balance between um, listening to those around him in his community and reassuring them that the serpent isn't real. Um, and then as the story goes on, I think his own sort of self-belief becomes a bit challenged and he starts to even question himself and what he thinks as the events go on, as his relationship with Cora develops. Um, we see everything that he holds dear, his family, all, um, being sort of thrown off kilter by these events that are happening in his village. So he goes on a really big journey, questioning his faith, questioning everything around him. Um, and yeah, I think his journey is just as big as Cora's actually.
is there anything kind of um, that you want people to know about the show that we haven't covered or, you know, that we, we haven't said today? Oh, that's such a big question. Um, I think it's just that the show is made up of, of many parts. It appears to be about a serpent, but it's actually about so many other things. One of which is very relevant today, which is just what do we do when we're scared? Who do we turn to? And what, does, what do we start to fear when we sort of fear itself? Um, because I think that's something that is very relevant at the moment. Do we start to fear outsiders? Do we start to fear the unknown? Um, and can we live with uncertainty? That's very deep. I'll leave you with those deep thoughts. That's, that's brilliant. I love it. Thank you so much. And thank you for your time. And thank you as well, Jordan. No problem. It was a pleasure. Yes, likewise. <laughs> thank you. Next, I spoke with Jane Petrie, the costume designer for the Essex Serpent. I'm excited you're here. I'm, I'm, I can't wait to chat. It's, I love the show and I loved your costume. So I'm. Oh, good. Thank you. I haven't seen it yet. I've only seen the first episode because I've been um, working and I missed the cast and crew screening. So I haven't, oh, no. I haven't seen it all yet, but I'm, I'm going to catch up with it. Maybe next week I'll be able to catch up with it properly. Yeah, it's, it's really a treat. It's, 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 it's a lot of fun. I like it so much. Oh, um, now, I, so you, you said you've been busy. Are you, are you working on Foundation now? Yeah. Or? yeah, yeah. I'm on season two of Foundation. We're just coming towards the end of it, actually. Oh, wow. So that's why I feel like I might be able to kind of surface and, and, and catch up with the Essex Serpent properly. <laughs> There's, their shows are so different. It's Yeah. So I'm going to start and I'm, I'm sure you've been asked this before, I'm going to start a little bit about, um, you know, what was your process for, you know, starting to create for the show? Did you draw inspiration from the book or the screenplay? You know, how do you get from the blank page to, to your design? Yeah. Well, when you've, I mean, I, I, I trust my instincts, really. I think um, when you read a, a well-written script, it, it, it kind of tells you what to do. Yeah. You know, so you draw on your um, past experience and, and, and your sort of own taste and your experience to, to, to help you. But your, um, my instincts, I, I, it wasn't difficult. I didn't find the Essex Serpent difficult to design because it is, because it's really well written and the characters are good, fully rounded kind of humans that you want to kind of go on a journey with. So it wasn't too difficult, but I've done the period before, I think um, a bit like, uh, like maybe your westerns or something you know the the kind of 1890s is a victorian england is something that that we have a lot of our stories it's either that or world war ii there are an awful lot of our stories are told during that time it was a high point culturally yeah so um it's a period that i was familiar with and that i'd worked on in the past so i definitely didn't want to do i mean i, I would hope i would never want to but I certainly didn't want it to be kind of standard Victorian fare, you know. So I was, I leapt on the the kind of aesthetics that Alice Normington was working with for the, her set design, because we've worked, we designed Suffragette together, which isn't far off the period. And I've known Alice quite a long time. So I knew what she was doing with the sets um, for Cora's world. Um, so I sort of hooked up with Alice and then I knew that for Essex, we wanted this really otherworldly kind of backwater. And I wanted to kind of push that as well. So 
I didn't want just another Victorian village because we've seen so many of them. You mentioned, I think, in an, in an interview earlier that you had uh, specifically chosen like Dutch costumes for Aldwinter. Do you want to, and, and Essex, do you want to talk about that a little bit? Or? Yeah, I did. I didn't specifically, I was influenced by Dutch costume. Yeah, I hope that that we were, that we were sort of away, we'd, we'd moved somewhere else that, that became Aldwinter by the, by the time it kind of, they were our costumes. But I, I, I know that in the past there was a lot of, um, there was trade between the Essex coast and the sort of Netherlands and the that kind of uh, coast of Europe as well. Um, and that the fishing communities had contact and there was trade. And then further, just around the corner from where, where we were filming, when I looked at the map and where the story was set, there was, um, there's a little village called Little Holland. And, and I think there was clearly an authentic Dutch influence in the area at the time which didn't really come up in visual research for me, but I reckoned, you know, it was somewhere really nice that we could explore to sort of have a, a bit of a visual language of our own for old winter. Did you, so, did you, did you get to visit that area before, you know, before the show started filming and, you know, in the process of your research? Because... Yeah, we, we, well, I went on some reckeys out to the, out to the coast. So we were, we knew, we knew the kind of, the landscape and, that you know it's it's a it's a it's a bit of a cliche to say it but you know London's London's a bit of a you know the, the London story and Michael's side is is kind of one world and then the Essex the Essex landscape is 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 a, quite a character in that part of the story itself so we were both Alice and I were drawing off this sort of texture and the feel and the mood and the kind of zone that you go into in a moody kind of foggy day out there as well. We definitely drew on that on the landscape itself for, you know, both of our starting points, I think. So I sort of put that together, the, the mood, um, along with this kind of Dutch influence and with everything that I knew about kind of fishing communities in England, well, in Britain, really, because the fishing communities have a very strong um, historic look as well. You know, the old fishermen's jumpers, they used to have um, different villages would have different pat knits in their patterns. So if, um, you know, if a boat went down and somebody was washed ashore, they could the town they came from, the village they came from could be identified by the knit of their jumpers. Oh, wow. You know, there's there's a really great, rich sort of fishing community textured, you know, in, in Britain. So I was trying to draw on some of that and create kind of our language for our village, really. Um, and I wanted it to feel like something that was unfamiliar to the viewer as a remote part of England. So hopefully... There, you can definitely tell the, you know, the difference between, you know, the the mood shift between that in London and that in... Um, that in Essex so I think you you definitely achieved that and I, I'm you know it's, it's such a it's such a moody and kind of a misty like misty area it's, it's just phenomenal and I I'm so curious about these fishing nets um can you talk a little and I, I'm going to get into the weeds a little bit about that because I love I love research I love history so I'd love to hear more about you know any kind of how you stumbled upon this, how you, you know, kind of fleshed out this world, because it's, it, it's, it's fascinating. Yeah, I think, I mean, I, I knew, I, I, I knew quite a bit about, I've, I'd, I'd read quite a bit about fishing communities and, and the, and the sort of clothing. And then 
we wanted to use all these sort of waxed cloth and it's so earthy and kind of like almost like a mud cloth kind of color because it's a really muddy story and there was an awful lot of yeah. mud in the landscape you know so we were sort of trying to, to sort of hone in on 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 the world and and the people being of that place you know and that's um a very sort of closed community really um and then the the london the language that we used in london was when um alice normington had been designing the house that is michael's house where we first meet cora right um because that 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 relationship was abusive um i designed all of her costumes through michael's eyes so i i wanted it to feel that he'd chosen all of her clothes and he'd had a very sort of a, a strong in, input if not a complete control over all of her clothing in london so that as she starts to kind of recover and come into her own place in Essex all of her clothes and things could sort of start to open up and we you know she goes into recovery and everything sort of gets a bit lighter and a bit easier after the really sort of the, all the tension of London. It really comes across in the clothes because she's very you know buttoned up and stiff in London mm -hmm. and was the intention was the intention kind of can you talk about that transformation and how you, you know, how that came up, uh, how you kind of decided to reflect her journey, Cora's journey in her clothes? Because that's such a, that's such a neat, neat bit of it. Well, because I come, my, my kind of background is, um, is really, I've done a lot of realism and I did a lot of really kind of gritty urban realism when I, when I first started to, to design, but I'd come through um, period in my training um, and kind of putting those two things together I wasn't going to go and design Cora a whole new wardrobe for when she was in Essex because it didn't make any sense to me all that made sense to me in, in terms of the logic of the story was that she was taking her London wardrobe because that's what she owned she was taking that she had some traveling clothes which was the grey coat which which had a sort of detachable hood which would allow it to serve more than one purpose and then I, I sort of built her a, a sort of a traveling wardrobe and she had her London evening dresses, which meant that she was brilliantly um, inappropriately dressed for some sequences in Essex, which kind of <laughs> a little bit of kind of comedy as well. And then I also um, wanted to be able to get her into her kind of fossil hunting gear. Uh, so we we had some stuff left over in the that was set dressed actually into the cottage, uh, some leftover kind of trousers and the brown hat they were they were set dressing in the cottage as though they'd been left by the previous owner so that I could justify all of the looks and and get her into that kind of relaxed Essex look by um, styling the existing wardrobe rather than kind of just conveniently having loads of new clothes when she got there because there wasn't time in the in the story there was no place that she could have bought them in that village you know it just had right. to all come out of something logical for me no can you talk a little bit about working with claire danes did she you know was the process collaborative with coming up with her costume can you like describe how that all worked yeah i think um, it may have been i absolutely loved working with claire danes actually just first of all because <laughs> i think as a I think women really like Claire, right? Yeah. <laughs> so you, you know, and she's cool, and she's she, and 
I'd hoped and and I and I and I was you know it, it was true that she was going to be a woman's woman and she is she's really cool and smart and funny and generous and brilliant to work with I really really like Claire and I think if we'd been if it had we, this was all during the second lockdown here second Covid lockdown right so some of the collaborative angles uh, were, were slightly thwarted by that. So Claire, Claire was in New York for nearly all of the prep and didn't come over um, and the dates of the shoot pushed. So we would have Zoom meetings and I had to get her first set of measurements and her first corset fitting done by posting the corset and getting somebody to go and work with her in New York and none of us could travel. Oh my goodness. So we were doing it in a, in, a, in a new way probably for both of us where, you know, typically... You have your first session and you just try on loads of shapes, loads of really great kind of period clothing and you figure out what's starting to work. This is how I would do it. Mm -hmm. So just look at some shapes on on her or, you know, on the on the actor, whoever it is, and figure out the direction. And then I would take all of those answers with me into the workroom and start designing specifically for the character on that body with the input from that actor. But we couldn't really do that. And Claire then, because of the restrictions was going to arrive quite late into the prep. So we had a few Zooms and I I started sending her, um, we did some fitting photos on, we did some mannequins. I think I got a body double in at one point to try a load of clothes on somebody who was who measured up to the same as Claire so that I could kind of take a look at everything moving. And mm -hmm. I ended up, um, sort of doing show and tells with her but with photographs and, and, a, and a little bit of video long distance and she, she was really great and it was really collaborative but it was really a new way of doing it because I had to go further than I've ever gone before with a lead actor before I met them physically for the first time. And that it's really it seems very challenging you know especially in COVID times and kind of um you know, kind of jumping into that almost. Can you can you talk a little bit about um, the process of working with Tom Hiddleston? Was it similar? Was it you know was he in, in the UK? How did yeah, that? Yeah, Tom. Yeah, Tom was here. So, um, but only for a little bit because he had something. He had he he was in London, and again, it wasn't. I don't even think it was work. I can't even remember why. But I saw Tom briefly once at the very 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 sort of early stage of prep and then I didn't see him again in a very similar way until much much later um and I can't remember why and it was it would be to do with lockdown I, I think I can't remember but we were able because we were in this sort of bubble um I can't remember why but again with Tom I mean his wardrobe was quite straightforward it was yeah. just um having the conversations with him about what the village was and who the people that inhabited the village were and that we had this kind of he's got that kind of paler suit that he wears which is more like a corded sort of cotton um and he really liked that we'd we'd made a toile actually in that uh, a suit for him to try on in that cotton and that was what we called our village cloth and all of the um, the clothes that we made for the villagers, for the men who had to get muddy and needed repeats, we'd use that cloth and we we called it the village cloth. Oh, okay. And and then Tom really liked it, and he really liked the idea of, um, you know, his character being kind of really, really part of the village and part of the people, of sort of more of a man of the people. So we ended up sticking with it, and and we didn't move on to another rule. We were going to make it make it in rule, and then we stuck with the village cotton in the end. 
Okay. And that I know was collaborative, yeah, very much so, because even though there was very little, he was really involved in it and um, and enthusiastic. It was great. Now, you, you've mentioned a few times about kind of the, the mud and the bog, and I'm, I'm going to ask kind of, um, I guess, not so much a costume question, but a practical question. What, like, were there challenges in keeping this all clean? And, you know, I I wonder about that personally. How how do you kind of manage that when you're working in the mud and the wetness and all of that? Yeah, it's it's just re really great standbys. The people who stand by on set looking after the cast and sort of looking after the continuity of the costumes. Um, it's down to their experience and, and kind of enthusiasm and uh, <laughs> keeping their spirits up because it's it's just <laughs> it's a graft. The thing is, it's just a graft, and um, yeah, it, it, they you know there's all the practical things that you can do, and and you know they have to do changes, and we get we get looked after so that we've got a warm tent to go into if everybody gets cold and wet and muddy that we can heat people up and get them changed, but it's it's really down to it's legwork it's just it's just hard a hard graft and having a good team of people at both set both at both ends you know it's practical you've got somebody running back and forward with kettles of water if you need hot water bottles you know yeah yeah it's I mean the mud's real so you've just got to kind of we're all everyone all ideas in the on the table if, if anyone can make anyone's life kind of more comfortable <laughs> that's fair um <laughs> So you mentioned the village cloth that you, you know, that you kind of came up with. Can you talk about some of the other pieces and how you, you know, how you came upon them, how you, how you got them, you know, because you, you don't exactly walk into like a department store and, and pick up something from 1893. So I imagine it was, it was a little bit uh, different. Yeah. So, um, there, there, I mean, you can rent some, clothes from that period you can still get some things in the in the costume rental houses that are really useful and it's always good to go and look at all those original garments as well we used we used a lot but I am um, I have a lot I've collected quite a lot over the years as well and I've always got things that I've picked up here and there that with an intention to you know come the right project that will be useful so there was quite a lot of the the knitwear and some of the things that we developed for the village came out of things that I've picked up over the years that were kind of little bits of eccentric kind of pieces of knit or um, kind of shirts and skirts or some nice fabrics and bits, just bits and pieces that I've I've collected. I, I just thought, well, what am I saving all this for? We might as well use it because the shops were shut. It was really hard to to kind of make anything in in the way that you might normally. What um, what was hard was um, picking up anything in quantity. So we 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 had quite a lot of my collection and 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 my sort of pieces that we wanted to work from. Then we went and looked at um, original garments in the costume houses, was where you could kind of get in on an appointment basis, where you know they would just sort of let us in one at a time, and we'd have this big space all to yourself. So we did a, a lot of research in that way. And then, um, yeah, the, the original garments that we used are largely mine. We bought some from dealers and we bought some, um, you know, in, in I, I, think, I think there was um, some, some little caps and bonnets that we got shapes from that we 
we borrowed from a collector and I thought, yeah, yeah, we did. I'd forgotten about that. We went to visit a collector who, who had some really good children's wear. So we, we, we sort of borrowed some and took some patterns from some of those old original pieces. But um, I think really because I had so much stuff that I'd collected and because the, this is for the village more than London, London was a lot more rental because it's a bit more straightforward. But for the village, because I had so much fabric that I'd collected, I mean, I've been kind of picking up stuff. I had a, a, a vintage clothes stall in the early 90s and I've had stuff forever. That It was just the right time to kind of raid my own boxes and use it all. So we just we just started using it and 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 it gave everything a bit of an eclectic feel in terms of the pieces that were put together in the village you know there was repairs there were things were slightly patched together and the fact that we we were restricted by the amount of fabric helped i think and the the restrictions meant we were creative with our repair work and we we had quite a lot of knitting done by my supervisor's mother-in-law you know oh. it, was, it just wasn't a normal setup it was and it was strangely helpful now so you you mentioned that you used to have a vintage clothing store a uh, stall stall yeah, stall. I had, yeah portobello market yeah in the oh. in the 90s in london yeah can you talk yeah. about you know the jump from that to this because that sounds like a like a really interesting an interesting story. Yeah, uh, and it wasn't a jump. I, I'd already been and studied costume um, and done my degree, and I was working in costume when I had that stall. I just, I've just always done the secondhand markets and the jumble sales and yard sales, or you know anything like that. And I just, uh, there's always. <laughs> so I, I started to do it to get rid of stuff, and then I did it for a couple of years just as a kind of, uh, you know a bit of extra cash when you're starting out and you're a trainee and you don't earn much money. <laughs> do, you, do you have any advice for people that are that are trainees now or that are just starting out and kind of want to jump into the field and are, are at um, the beginning of their careers? Yeah, I think um, I don't, I, I think that don't undervalue any work experience. I often get asked this and and I think if you, if you come to me as a, a sort of a a recent graduate who's really passionate about costume and you've never had a job and you don't know how to work um I don't want to have to teach you how to work I can help you be um a really good assistant I can help you I can teach you how to work set I can you know we can teach you lots and lots of things but I'm not going to teach you how to work so I think it's I think often people think oh I better not put my waitressing job down on my CV when I'm you know writing in and I think if you can actually work and know how to behave in the workplace when you turn up that's helpful and you know my, my Saturday job when I was at college was in a flower shop and I still use those skills in costume now you know it's helpful if you're doing millinery or headdresses that you can you know sort of do for some floristry so it's not so much um it's, it's sort of about valuing the experience that you maybe already have um can you you know we've talked a lot about the different characters and we've talked about um you know, how their costumes kind of have reflected the feeling and, and things you were going for. Are there any particular costumes um, from the show that you're very proud of that you want to, you know, talk a little bit more about? Um, is there anything that was, you know, kind of um, challenging to pull off and that you're happy that you did? I think that we're all happy that we pulled it off in, in the peculiar circumstances of lockdown because it was, um, you know, it was quite, 
some of it was quite emotional for a lot of people. Um, so the the kind of team was the teamwork was great, and the and the um, the this bonding that happened during it was was really really good for all of us. And then creatively, um, I had a bit of a break on the Essex Serpent because there was I think I don't know if somebody got COVID or. Uh, something happened. I can't remember. Maybe somebody had COVID who was in the cast or something. I can't remember. But we the shoot dates pushed, and we all went part time onto a three day week for something like five weeks in the middle of prep. Oh wow! And that's that's one of the best things that's ever happened to me. It was absolutely fantastic just to be sort of really in it, and then just have a, a just a chunk of extra time for which was just really a lot of thinking. And it allowed us to do a lot of hand work and do some of the hand sewing, just that extra bit of time where we we, we could do some of the, the slow work that, that you normally just, you know, things that are quite a lot of costume. I mean, it's there's no shortcuts. It's you can't there's nothing. It's definitely analog. You know, you, you there are no shortcuts. So if you get extra time, then it's extra hand sewing, it's extra slow making that that's just incredibly helpful on screen you know to, just to get time there's the yep. most valuable thing so that that was great I didn't mind that it was part-time in the slightest just the extra headspace was brilliant so you, you're just finishing well you, you've already finished the Essex Serpent and then you've made the shift to foundation how was you know how was the kind of getting in the different um headspace for that it, because it is a shift you know they're very different different shows uh, yeah, yeah, they're very different. I had a, a holiday. <laughs> <laughs> that was the best shift. Um, I had a break, and then um, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I think I think by the end of the Essex Serpent, um, you know, it wasn't as intense. It, we, it had settled down. We, we were all. We, 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 it wasn't some sort of wasn't the same as foundation where we're going for, you know, you, you'll go from planet to planet or, you know, you change worlds. The Essex Serpent was kind of quite calm by the end and there was nothing new going on. So I, I was probably finished when we finished, you know, there wasn't a, a kind of a, a hangover of, of me being all adrenaline fueled and still busy with it, you know? So um, yeah, we just, I went on holiday and then came back with a clear head. So that was, yeah, it was okay. Oh, that's perfect. Exciting, you know. Foundation's exciting. It was a. It was like, oh wow, you know, and that and that's what gets you, gets you up in the morning and kind of makes you want to do it. It's, you know, you read a script and it, it just you can't stop your your juices, so you're in again. <laughs> so when you to go back to the script a little bit and to go back to the script for the the Essex Serpent, did you kind of can you talk about working with the director and how you know how everything came together to come up with a mood for the show because you yeah. know the, the costumes are so like they're so reflective of that they're so they really elevate all of the storytelling oh thank you um well I don't know I don't I don't want to put this in a uh in I don't want this to be kind of taken the wrong way but I think it really helped that there were loads of women involved in the um you know producing and directing and production design and me and you know the um because it was really kind of chorus story mm -hmm. you know we just talked a lot we talked an awful lot and Clio's got a fine art background so she's got a really great visual eye um and we talked a, a lot about the feelings and the emotions and what 
would be reflected in each part of the journey um, and where Cora was at emotionally. We, I think that we, we, we did an awful lot of talking that wasn't necessarily looking at um, mood boards. And I mean, we did an awful lot of that, but we, we also just chatted a lot about, about what, what the story was, what the journey was, what it was really about, where she was at, coming at, you know, recovery from abuse all of the different themes and then the impact that the landscape and you know the coast would have when you were in recovery. So I think that we 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 spent a lot of time getting into the same zone. That um, by the time everything started to get quite busy, we all really knew the tone and we we really knew the mood and the feeling that we wanted to get into each of our own departments. So I think we we all sort of supported each other with that in a way. It was because Clio is really, she's really collaborative. She's really sensitive. She's smart, but um, she's really open to, you know, I could talk to her about something. I could, we could, we could talk about a piece of music that would have figured for both of us that would have given, given us the feeling of a scene as easily as I could have shown her a piece of historical research showing a, you know, a, you know, a corset. It was much, it was a, a very, it's almost like when you work with theatre directors, you have these kind of conversations. And I think her fine art background um, really meant that we were, we were really digging deep um, creatively. It was brilliant. This has been, this has been amazing. And I want to make sure that I'm respectful of your time too, because I think we've gone, um, we've gone over and I'm, I'm very much appreciative of that. But is there anything last that you want, that you kind of want people to know about the show and the costumes? And um, I think that uh, I, I didn't do it all on my own. You know, I can have whatever's in my head and whatever quality of idea I have um, can only get onto the screen with the, you know, with the, the right team of people around me making all of their, you know, putting all their, their skills and their effort and their care and attention to detail and love of the job in, into it. It doesn't really matter how how well I can imagine something if I haven't got the right people around me to kind of make it real. And I have a really fantastic team of people who I've worked with, uh, quite a few of them, we've worked together for years, so we know each other really well. And it's the it's the team that really kind of, can get it onto the screen as well because I, you know, yeah, if I, you know, I can take credit for for some of it, but it, it, you know, if I I can have the, the the best ideas going, and if I haven't got the right team of people around me, it's not going to get to the screen. Yeah, <laughs> you know, you know, it's it, the team are fantastic. They're really great, and they worked so hard, and and it wasn't easy. And you know, people are juggling a difficult home life during lockdown, and and you know, it's it's really credit to an awful lot of people that it that it looks good. Well, thank you very much, and you know, I'm so happy that you you took the time to to talk with me. And oh, my pleasure, thank I, you. No problem, and I can't wait till you watch it because the show is amazing. And <laughs> me too. Yeah, I'll catch it. We'll, we'll. I think next week's the week. I think I've got enough time next week to sit down and do it properly. Oh, that's great. <laughs> Okay, thanks very much. Thank you very much. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening. Make sure you check out The Essex Serpent on Apple TV+. I'm Isla Ruby, and you can find more interviews and news and reviews about the show and so much more at thecosmiccircus.com. Bye-bye.